our scripture reading, I'd like to read first from the first part of 2 Peter chapter 2, and then read the book of Jude, taking note of the similarity between these two sections, 2 Peter 2 and the book of Jude. And we look at it specifically, too, there's lots of points that are made in these sections, but looking at it specifically also with regard to the reference to the violations of the fifth commandment, which is what we treat this morning. We start at verse 1, 2 Peter 2, verse 1. But there were all... But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil, evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. That righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now we turn to the book of to the book of Jude. And we see some similar statements in the book of Jude. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men, crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God unto lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, 
how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally, as brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures this morning and what we just read. And the rest of Scripture are the basis for the teaching of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 39. 
Lord's Day 39. There we read, What doth God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and mother, and all in authority over me, and submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience and also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities, since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we read a portion of 2 Peter 2 and Jude to be able to see some of the similarities. 2 Peter 2 spoke about what would happen in the last days. And then in the book of Jude, he speaks about what is already happening. He says, for there are certain men crept in unawares, and so on. Ungodly men, and he starts speaking of what they are doing. So putting them together, there's reference to what it's going to be like in the last days. And then the book of Jude's stressing also that you can see it happening already now. We also take note that in the book of Jude, he begins by making a reference to how he was going to write. He addresses them as beloved. In his love for them, he says, beloved. And then he says, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, the salvation he had, they, that Jude writes as one who is saved, and he's writing to those who are saints, he's writing to God's people, that, that together they have salvation, they've been saved by grace. When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. So he was going to write about the salvation that they had in common in the sense that they both had salvation by God's grace. And then he says that he saw this need to write to them about this danger and that they needed to earnestly contend for the faith. And one of the points that is clearly made here is the important connection between one's sound doctrine and their walk of life. As we do in the Heidelberg Catechism, we teach and go through the distinctive doctrines of salvation by grace alone, how we are delivered from our sins and misery. We talk about how great our sins and miseries are, we talk about the depravity of man. We bring out clearly that salvation is entirely the work of God, unconditional, and that God preserves all of his people. And then, as we're going through right now, we start going through the Ten Commandments and stressing the importance of living a holy life, expressing our gratitude to God. And we're not to just talk about one's walk of life and not talk about the doctrines, 
Neither are we to talk about the doctrines, but then in one's life that people just continue on in, in the different sins that they're walking in and thinking, well, salvation is all of God's grace. Christ died for us, so I may continue on in my, in my wickedness. But we stress both the importance of being sound in our doctrine and also sound in our teaching concerning one's walk of life, not only concerning our teaching, but that we be striving in our daily life to show our gratitude to our God for our salvation. Certainly this passage indicates that there is a danger. There's a danger in our own day, in a day in which there are so many blatant violations of the fifth commandment, and the sixth, and the ninth, and all the commandments, but we're right now talking about the fifth, that there's so much blatant dishonoring of those in authority, doing the opposite of this, showing honor, love, and fidelity to all in authority over me. Many, many want to dishonor and show hatred for those in authority over them. And there are those that blatantly do that and continue on. Week after week, they're blatantly doing that. And there may be some that are blatantly doing that while at the same time stressing salvation is by grace alone. That's ought not to be. It ought to be in our, in our life that we show, we're showing, we really are showing our gratitude. That we're thankful for being saved solely by the grace of God. That it manifests itself in our life. And that applies to all of us. It applies to all the, those who are in the special offices. Those who are in the special offices are in a position of off, special office in the church. They are to show honor, love, and fidelity to all those in authority over them. Indeed, we're to prefer one another in honor. We're to honor one another. We are to show love to one another. We're to express our, our, our thankfulness for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Clearly, these two passages that we read stress to us that this was God told us in his word, this would be a problem in the last days. In the last days, it would be very blatant that there would be those that are not afraid to speak evil of dignity. There are those that dis despise dominion. Beware of them. And we are not to be like those of this world. We're to continue to remember what God has done for us. Remember what Christ has done. Who laid down his life for us that we might be set free from bondage. And that all of us may show forth in our life uh, a good example. You know, the, the church visitor questions concerning the office bearers, in each one of them, there's questions that the church visitors ask when they come to talk to the council. They talk about the minister without the minister there. They talk about the elders without the elders there. They talk about the deacons without the deacons there. And in all three cases, they bring out a question about whether they are worthy examples 
Regarding the minister, the question is, does the minister reveal himself as a worthy example? Then a little later, the elders go up, and the question is asked, do they, the elders, conduct themselves as examples to the congregation in their family and outward walk of life? And then when the deacons are the ones that are out, the question is asked about the deacons. Do they, in their family, and outward life and walk, reveal themselves as exemplary Christians? In all three instances, that's one of the questions. That's not the only question, but that's one of the questions that is asked. Now, that's asked about the office bearers, but that's, that's important for all of us. So we can, every one of us can say that about ourselves. Is it the case with my, do I conduct myself as an example to others in my, in my life, in my communion, in my family, in my outward walk of life? Am I setting forth a good example, specifically with regard to the fifth commandment? Does my speech and my speech regarding those in positions of authority, in my submission to those in positions of authority, am I setting forth a good example to the honor, to the glory of my God? That's what we desire to do. Uh, and we consider this Lord's Day under the theme showing love, showing love to those in authority. I'm taking note specifically of that reference, we consider first of all the submission, secondly the honor, and then thirdly the, the promise. Showing love to those in authority. First of all, the, the principle of the fifth commandment, we're quite, we should be quite familiar with the, with the principle here. And that is really what's mentioned last. It pleases God to govern us by their hand. And that's what we instruct our children. That God is governing us by their hand. Why is it we must submit to those in civil government? Why is it that we must be submissive with regard to the officers in the church? Why is it that children, why must they be submissive to their parents? It pleases God to govern us by their hand. So God is the one who governs all things, of course. He is the sovereign ruler over all. He governs all things by Jesus Christ. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In Matthew 28, verse 18, but that's the word there, really, is the word authority. All authority has been given to me. God governs by parents and teachers representing the parents in the school. And our teachers and our children are taught, and very soon we'll be beginning school again. And our, and our children are taught the importance of showing honor to their teachers. 
those who have a position of authority have the right to be able to make decisions, right that God has given to them to make certain decisions, to make certain rules, and to enforce those rules, as long as they don't conflict with God's law. And of course, we stress that. We give an example with regard to parents. Parents have the, the, uh, the authority in the home to give instruction to the children. And for you children, to, when you children hear instruction from your parents concerning what they want you to do or not to do, that you're to real, know that God is directing you by your parents. That's what this means. It pleases God to direct you to tell you what to do and what not to do by your parents. So that when your parents are speaking to you and telling you, no, do this or don't do that, that God is directing you by your parents. He has given your parents authority. The right to rule and to enforce the rules as long as they don't conflict with God's law. We, we certainly stress that. It's, parents do not have the right to be able to tell their children to lie. And to say to their child, now if anybody asks you about this, just say this, and then they're actually telling them to lie. They may not instruct their children to do something contrary to what God's law says. That they may not do. And if somebody in position of authority over us tells us to disobey God, well, then we must obey God rather than men. But when they are not telling us to disobey the law of God, but they're giving us instruction concerning what they want us to do, we are to honor them. We are to show uh, do obedience to the glory of our God. Now, many have different root ideas about authority. Many think about, well, as far as who rules, many think that the one who rules, who's whoever's got the power, whoever's got the strength in the sense of strength, who can ever, whoever can force their will on others, then others have to obey them because they can force them to do it. And many act that way. If they are stronger, whether an individual thinks he's stronger and he can force others to do what he says, and since he can force them, then he says, you have to do what I say because I can force you to do it. Or a group of people working together thinking they can accomplish their will, they can rule because they have the strength in their numbers, they're stronger, they can force others to do what they say. It's not strength. The one who rules is not the one who is in a certain sense stronger. The one who rules is the one to whom God has given authority. And so the question is, has, to whom has God given the authority? Not strength. Not wealth. It isn't that if somebody has more wealth, then they can determine what's going to happen because they've got the money. It does not have to do with one's wealth. It has to do with who to whom has God given the authority. 
There are those that think in certain situations that they're wiser. So they hear a decision of those in positions of authority and they think, I don't need to do that because that's not wise. I have a better idea. So then their thinking is, I have more wisdom than the one in authority, so I should determine. But the question is, to whom has God given the authority to make the decision? Who has the right to rule? And to those to whom God has given the authority, we must submit. We must not rise up and try and overthrow those who are in positions of government over us. We are to be submissive. If they tell us to do something contrary to God's law, then we cannot do that. But we are still to remain in a position of submission. Like we often use the example of Daniel who continued to pray. When the government made a, uh, gave a, a wicked uh, command concerning what was to take place and, and was commanding people to do something contrary to God's law, well, Daniel would not, would not do what he was commanded to do. But he would still remain in a position where he was submissive to those in authority over them. He would obey, in so, in, uh, but not when they commanded him to do something contrary to the law of God. He didn't try to gather a group together to overthrow the government. He remained submissive, but he continued to pray as he had done aforetime, as God has called us to pray. God governs us by their hand. That, that is the principle. So that we're to submit to parents while we are children. We're to honor our parents our whole life, but we are to be submissive to our parents during the time period while we are children and being reared by, by our parents. And we're to recognize that God is giving us good instruction and correction. This is an important part of it, too. It's important for us to learn this as children, but then also to learn it, to also to see this as an adult. There are times when we receive instruction and correction, and sometimes we, we might get mad. And it's good for us to see and to think on what this Lord's Day says, we're to submit to their good instruction and correction. God is governing me by them. When I receive instruction, when I receive correction, I should thank God for the good instruction and the good correction that I'm receiving. That's true of all of us. And in the last days, there's going to be blatant disobedience. That's what the passages we read brought out. And it's not the only passages. 2 Timothy 3 verse 2 says, In the last days, 
Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Think of how blatantly that is the case today. Lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. See how those go together. We're to be submissive, expressing our thankfulness, our gratitude to God. God says, in the last days there will be many that are disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Disobedient to parents is is specifically one of the points that's mentioned in 2 Timothy 3, verse 2. We're to show love. Submitting to those in authority and doing so out of love for them. Showing love and fidelity. Fidelity having the idea of doing that which we are told to do. We are to show love to them, to those in authority. Not showing that we despise them, but to show that we love them. Christ was subject to his parents, to Mary, who was his mother, and also to Joseph, who was the legal, not the biological. We understand that. He was not the biological father. Yet it was the fact that from a legal point of view, Joseph, or Jesus rather, we read that he was subject unto them, that he went down with them. This is Luke 2, verse 51. That he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. Jesus himself being an example to us. Jesus, the divine and human mediator. But Jesus was an example to us in this regard also. We're to be submissive. We vow that we'll be submissive to church government. This is at times brought out when somebody is 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 rejecting the government of the church. It's brought out that when we make confession of faith, that's something that we vow to do. We vow to submit to church government. And that's true of somebody who is a special office bearer themselves. Will you submit to church government? And in case you become delinquent, which may God graciously forbid to church discipline. And that's a question to which we answer yes. In the ordination form for the minister of the word, we have these words. Let the feet of those that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things be beautiful and pleasant unto you. Obey them. And then they quote, it quotes Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. That they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that's unprofitable for you. That's what's quoted in the 
or nation-sponsored ministers of the Word. We're to be submissive as employees. This is where we often bring out the importance of not joining together and being part of, say, a union and going on strike and <coughs> trying to force. That's the idea that, hey, we've got numbers. We can force our will on our employer. If we all quit, then how are they going to continue on? So we, we got the right, we can, we can force what we want upon our employer. Well, that's contrary to the fifth commandment. In the sphere, when we, when we agree to work for someone, then we are to be submissive in the sphere in which we have agreed to work. We can give them notice. If we want to work elsewhere, we can give them notice and go and work someone somewhere else. But we're not to be striving to force our will on those who are over us. We're to be submitting ourselves also in the workplace, laboring as to the Lord, not with eye service, not just when they're watching, then all of a sudden we do what we're supposed to do, and then quickly we go back to not doing it. But we're to be submissive as to the Lord. Second place, we look at it from the viewpoint of honoring them. Honoring them. Showing love. We show love submitting to them. We show our love. We show our love honoring them. Second Peter 2 verse 10 says, In the last days there will be those that despise government. They're not loving those in authority. They despise government. They're presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. And then in Jude 1, verse 8, similarly, it speaks of filthy dreamers who defile the flesh, despise dominion. The same idea, despise dominion. And speak evil of dignities. That's the opposite of showing love. That's the opposite of showing honor. There is a tendency in our own day to Blatantly dishonor those in authority. Blatantly show, wanting to show that one despises them. That they want to dishonor them, which is showing that they despise you. If somebody is trying to dishonor you, then they're showing that they're, they're not showing you love. When they write in such a way or they speak to you in such a way or they speak about you in such a way that they're striving to dishonor you. You think, well, this person despises me. Well, we're supposed to show love and honor, all honor and love. That should be evident in our speech. That should be evident in the way we speak to, in the way we speak about one another, whether that's verbal communication or whether that is digital or on the printed page 
or however the communication may be, it should be very clear that we are really honoring, not just simply saying, not saying, I love or I honor those in authority and then proceeding to dishonor them. So one makes a, a show of being submissive and of honoring in the sense that they make a statement that they are, and then the rest of what they say is contrary to what they just said. It's important that we do this from the heart. We're not to imitate the world. We see that this is blatant with regard to the magistrates. We live in a day when the speaking evil of those in civil governments is, is rampant. Speaking evil of them and mocking them and ridiculing them. That is a, there's a, it's important that we remember that God has given the magistrates the authority. He sets them in positions of office. In our own country, in our own country, we may vote. When it comes time to vote, we may vote for who we prefer to be in a position of office. But however that election may go, we understand that in the providence of God, certain people are in positions. That's been the case in positions of authority. That's been the case back in the days of the Roman Empire. That was the case back in the days of, the, of Nebuchadnezzar. That God's people in situations where they have these certain people of the world that are in positions of authority over them. God has placed them in that position of authority. We are to recognize God has given them that authority. This is a sin we, we all can recognize in ourselves. Especially we can see things and we see problems, what we view to be problems. Sometimes it may be quite blatant, things that are going on or what we, from what we are told of what is going on. And it's easy to join in with the world in the mocking and the ridiculing. But then when one is doing that with regard to the civil authorities, it's then one might begin starting to do the same within the church, just like they do it in the civil with civil government sphere, doing the same in the church of Jesus Christ. That's a danger. Or talking towards about those in that are outside of our churches. Maybe they are holding to false teaching. And we rightly would speak against teachings that are false, yet we have to do that in a proper way. There's a danger of us doing that in an improper way. There's a danger of judging a person rashly or unheard. The danger is of us, uh, us ourselves making false accusations. And if we do that towards those, if we do these things towards those that are without, then one might see that the same thing starts happening towards those that are within. We have to, write, we have to speak rightly regarding those that are without, outside of our federation. We have to speak and uh, honor those who are in positions of government that God has placed in that position. 
from these different spheres, we are to follow the commandment, the instruction that our Lord has, has given to us. We're not to be deceived. The kingdom of God is closed against all those who do not sincerely repent. When we go through the, in the Heidelberg Catechism about the keys to the kingdom, we stress that, that those who do not sincerely repent, the kingdom of God is closed against them. The book of Jude starts bringing this out. It speaks of those that fell in the wilderness. It says, The Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. So there were many that were among those that God had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Yet they themselves didn't believe. And we see how they spoke against Moses, for example. Speak how thou they rejected those in position that God had put in positions of authority and the judgment of God that came upon them. It makes reference to the angels, which kept not their first estate, the ones that fell. It makes reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, we know it's going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah in the last, in the last days. In Romans, you know, in the Old Testament, we were told that rebellious children were to be put to death. That's quite something in Deuteronomy 21 we read that. Those that were impenitently rebellious, those who cursed their parents, would be put to death. In the New Testament, in Romans 13, verse 2, of course, we don't have the sword power. But with regard to the sword power, with regard to the civil authorities, we're told, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, sometimes the King James, when it tra the word reads power in the King James, there are some places where it is in the Greek the word that is the word for authority, and that's the case here in Romans 13, verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the authority, Resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Every one of us is to confess our sins with regard to this. We may have in our mind, uh, we may see blatant violations of this in the world. we recognize, each one of us, that we violated this ourselves. There's no one that, there's not a one of us that comes to this instruction and reads this little statement here about the fifth commandment and doesn't feel convicted. Because all of us have violated it. We see that in ourselves, and there's times when we catch ourselves and we say, you know, we shouldn't speak that way. And sometimes with parents in front of their children, we speak evil of somebody in a position of authority. 
And then they recognize, they see their children listed, heard that. And then they say, you know, Dad shouldn't have said that. And not only shouldn't have said it, because it's not just about the words, because it wouldn't have been right to think it. It's not just that you can think those things, you just shouldn't say them. Rather, we have to look inwardly and turn inwardly from the sin and to love them, to show honor to those whom God has placed in positions of authority, and to come to God and confess our sins and ask for forgiveness. And remember the cross. Jesus was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was obedient. Perfectly obedient. He suffered for us. He had done nothing wrong. He was obedient unto the accursed death. That we might be reconciled to God. We deserved the curse. We talk about rebellious to be put to death. Those that curse their parents to be put to death. We deserve the curse. Christ was obedient unto death, the cursed death. And out of gratitude for our salvation, we're to show, show honor and love and fidelity to those in authority over us. Thankful to God for what he has done. Setting forth a good example to our children. That we who are parents, and even if we're single, setting forth a good example to the children of the church. You can have single adults that have quite an influence on the children in the congregation. And for all of us to see the importance of the, giving a good example to these children here. As the children quickly become aware of what kind of speech characterizes the world and how people are all, so often speaking of making fun of those in positions of authority. Many stories have people that are mocking those in positions of authority and laughing at them, rejecting what they say, what they are called to do. Well, we're, 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 this is, that's the way the world is. And to point out to you children, this is what God said is the world's going to be like. Yet we're not like, we are to not be walking like them. God has called us out of this world. He separated us. He has delivered us from bondage, from the bondage to sin. We have life, the life that God has given us. We have everlasting life in Christ. We want to show our gratitude to our God. Thankful. Thankful for our salvation, we're to show honor and love to our parents, being submissive when we're, when we're children, but honoring them our whole life. Throughout our whole life, we're to honor our parents. We're to recognize whatever the situation may be in our own life, that the one who is our father or who is our mother is the one that God gave us to be our parents. Throughout our own whole life, we're to honor them. Provide for them as they get older. 
and are in need, that specifically is given as a statement in Scripture concerning our calling towards repentance. And we're to honor all the brethren, preferring be kindly affection to one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Teaching our children to do that by example. Bringing out to the children, as, you, as we see our children treating each other badly, trying to get attention, and competing for honor, competing for attention, and then we say, no, we're to be kindly affectioned one to another. By nature, we're all selfish. We're all proud. We all want to exalt ourselves. And we'll go after anybody that comes against us. And, try, and we want to get what we want. We're to put off the old man we're to, with his deeds. We're to be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring the other. And we're to give instruction on that, and then we're to set forth that example in our life for the children to see of one that prefers others in honor. Now we read that and we recognize, well, it's not by nature. We do the opposite of that. This is what we're called to do. This is what, by the grace of God, we do desire to do. We say that the Spirit works in us to make us sincerely willing and ready to live unto Him. We have only a small beginning of the new obedience. We do have that beginning. We begin, we begin to do what God tells us. We want honor those in positions of authority. And we look to God for that grace. And we believe his promise. God promises, God speaks in the fifth commandment about the life that thou mayest dwellest long. Thou should honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. We understand that what God has given us is everlasting life and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We understand it could very well be that somebody who is a, a godly child dies as a child. And you can have a very wicked man or a wicked woman that lives many years, going over a hundred years old. But the life we have in Christ is, is everlasting. And we will dwell forever when there's a new heaven and a new earth. God promises us that we will dwell forever with him. That's a particular promise. The promise is not general and conditional, but particular and unconditional. We 
by the grace of God, believe and we're to remember the promise that God has made to us in Jesus Christ. It's good to remember, too, a statement, another statement in that minister ordination form, right after the part that I read that quotes Hebrews 13, 17, about obey them that have the rule and submit, for they watch for your souls, etc., that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Hebrews 13, 17. Right after that are these words. If you do these things, it shall come to pass that the peace of God shall enter into your houses. The peace of God shall enter into your houses. That's quite the statement. You can see that in the minister ordination form. We're thankful that by the grace of God we have peace with God. We desire to dwell together, commune together as those that have that where there is where there is peace, where there's joy, gladness, that we're together honoring expressing our gratitude to our God. We're to remember the danger that both of these books speak to us about that we've read, 2 Peter 2 and chapter 3 as well, and then the book of Jude, and how God spoke to us about what it's going to be like in the last days. We're to remember God's covenant promise to us in Christ. Consider the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And our desire is that we grow. The last thought today is that we're to believe the promise of God and look to God for the grace to grow. Both I bring that up because both Jude and Second Peter that speak on these subjects toward the end, that's what they bring out. Second Peter, when you get to the end of Second Peter, we read this, but grow, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. That's 2 Peter 3, verse 18. But grow, warning about the evil, and then saying, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, Jude, which we read, it ends bringing out, but ye, beloved, again calling them, Beloved, and I speak to you who are beloved, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. There's that idea of growth again. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And then ends with, now unto him that's able to keep you from falling. 
and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Both of these passages end with that idea. May we look to God for the grace we need for forgiveness and strength to do what our Lord has called us to do here. Express our love. Show love to remember. I'm to show love to those in authority, to be submissive to them, to honor them. May the Lord grant us the grace to set forth a good example. May he strengthen us. May we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank Thee for Thy grace. We're sorry, O Lord, for our many sins. Lord, forgive us. Lord, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Grant us the grace that we may be submissive to Thee, that we may be ruled by Thy Word and Spirit, that our life may be ordered to Thy glory. Grant that grace to us, we pray, in these last days, when iniquity abounds. Thou art worthy of our praise, and we're so thankful thou hast delivered us from bondage. Thou hast given us true freedom. May we praise thy holy name. For Christ's sake.